welcome to episode 250 of the Coot Street Podcast, a weekly discussion about science fiction and fantasy. This week, we're joined by Locus Editor-in-Chief Liza Trombi to discuss new and forthcoming books. Hello, Gary. Hello, Jonathan, and hello, Liza. You, you, hello. You've been that, was involved. The most sedate, that was the most sedate intro I've ever heard. <laughs> well, that's because you don't listen all the time. We've moved, I've moved beyond it, Liza. I began to feel like some some clown in the, in the, in the, you know, down under, sort of doing Kermit the Frog impressions. So I've just moved beyond it. <laughs> so we've gone from the Muppets to NPR in one street. Straight jump. You can see that as a move up, and it's not like you were going to take on the job of being Kermit in chief, Gary. I thought, I th- actually, I thought Cheryl Morgan did a perfectly good imitation of you when she hosted the podcast once. I can always cut her in. We should have a guest, we should have a guest introducer every week. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Liza. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm very tired, but I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? Let's um, explain to everybody oh, why you're tired, because <laughs> what you've been doing over the last few months and the next couple of months is is really a kind of historical moment in science fiction for those people who certainly remember the long history of Locus and the long history of of, of Charles's house. There, were, in in my mind, there are two locations that are like central uh, to the science fiction community. Everybody in the United States. At some point, uh, or almost everybody in the science fiction community, ended up at the Oakland House, just like everybody in the British science fiction community ended up at the Clute Flat in Camden Town. And now the Locust House is almost gone. It is. It's really sad. But it is. A, it will be a very good move when the move is finally finished. Um, but it has been a very long and slow process. There's been, we had um, 40,000 volumes that were not in boxes, that were on shelves. Um, and that included the runs of pulp and the science fiction and the nonfiction and the historical fictions. <laughs> and we, um, and that, and hundreds of boxes of locusts, back issue inventory and, and all of the things that Charles has collect- had collected over the 40 years he lived there. So there was a lot of excavating. Well, I mean, we should really probably draw a picture for people about exactly what, you know, because for, for most people, they've never been to the Locust House, or, uh, or at least the, the Oakland residence as it was. I mean, this is a hobbit hole that it took 45 years to build, right? It's, it's sort of a small three-bedroom house that was excavated underneath that had enormous compactus units full of books, went three levels deep under back, down to, as I recall, bare rock, to my great shock and chagrin, uh, it, you know, mm-hmm. which is very disturbing, where there were cases upon cases upon cases of books. I mean, I, re- I remember shifting, and I worked it out at one time, three tons, actually three tons of copies of the Locus Index to Science Fiction, and nothing else. Mm-hmm. There was that much stuff. Yeah, oh yeah. Just because it had to move from one corner of the basement to the other. I suspect this was a little bit like Mr. Miyagi telling someone to wax on and wax off, you know. Uh, it, was, it was a test to see, to see if I actually would stay around. So I had to spend two weeks in subterranean environment shifting boxes. But it was also the place where there, there in the office, you know, sort of from a science fictional perspective, as opposed to a house, which was kind of a bit freaky in some ways, a bit odd as a house. 
But as a science fiction place, there's sort of the original art for Stranger in a Strange Land hanging over, hanging over somebody's desk, the original art for Downward to Earth hanging over somebody's desk. There's this room with filled with Hugos and old arts and crafts style furniture and all this kind of thing. And it was really a, a spiritual meeting point for science fiction in the, beating, the Bay Area for four decades or something. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place to work. Yeah, I mean, because uh, it was tranquil, it was surrounded by trees, deer, whatever else. Um, World. Fantastic parties, I mean, f- famous, famous parties that Charles would hold there and that were held afterwards by the staff. But I guess, you know, the time comes where, as a, as a business, you have to move on. How long ago did you start moving stuff? Um... I think I started at the beginning of August. We knew that we had a new place that we could move into. Um, the end of July, we knew for sure we had a place and we had a lease in front of us. I know I sent an email out to the board of directors for the Locust Science Fiction Foundation um, on August 3rd saying, I am poised to sign the lease in case somebody had a moment of stop I unearthed a million dollars and I will buy the house or something you know magical but um and then uh I think I signed the lease four days after that so first week end of the first week of August I started moving things Mm. and there was a really amazing moment when Alan Beat said I will come out there and move the collection for you which is the he moved 20,000 of the 40,000. Actually, we should probably say, I mean, you're the editor-in-chief of Chief of Locust, and both Gary and I are on the board of the Locust Science Fiction Foundation with you. And I guess we really should formally thank Alan Beats and all of the staff at Borderlands Books for the incredible, generous effort they put into helping move Locust. It was really amazing. He shut the store down, brought seven or eight people out with him. Um, I rented two 15-foot trucks, and drove them up the hill, which is this really winding hill, like narrow streets, winding hills, no sidewalks, kind of rural hillside. Uh, drove these giant trucks up there, and yeah. they spent, I think, they arrived around 9 a.m., and they left. I think I got the final call from them at 1 a.m. Wow. when they said... Wow. Can you tell us the address to return the moving trucks to? Because I'd had to leave in the evening to go get my daughters. Mm. My mother picked them up. I had to go get them. I think they finished. I think they got back to San Francisco at 2 a.m. It's just an incredible effort. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very so, sincere thank thanks to them. Incredible. Francisco and does know that they should do it, should patronize Borderlands books. Well, I should do that anyway, yeah. not just because they're incredibly kind people, but. Uh, I've all as soon as I knew that we were that Locust was going to have to move wherever it was going to move to, I remember thinking my first thought was that's a nightmare. I mean, uh, yeah. you had to have seen Charles was a, a, a nuclear engineer, and he wa- had that kind of strange engineer's mentality where he would go around his house with a measure and he'd work out how many millimeters of house he had, and he would fill every single cotton-picking millimeter of it. And I remember changing tables because he could fit an extra four mil of table in or something. And it was all... Well, not, 
not counting the compactus, they, we had 70 wooden bookshelves. Yeah. <laughs> For people who aren't familiar with this in a home, uh, the, because the, the first time I ever encountered a, a, a collapsing bookshelf where you have a kind of wheel on the side of it which collapses a bunch of metal bookcases in, 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 into each other, nobody has that in their home. Uh, and in fact, they're dangerous. Once, Actually, it did not happen to me at the Locust House. It happened to me at Liverpool University Library, which has a great science fiction collection. Um, well, if you're not careful, you can be crushed to death by somebody just cheerfully turning the wheel to show you what the other <laughs> opening in the books are. And I was screaming for my life that, no, I'm here with the fanzines. And I'm now sure, they, have, they have electric ones, which seem real. Like, I'm sure they're lovely, but I find the idea of, an, of a powered rolling stack much more unnerving than the one that's at least just hand-cranked. And, and you've got a chance of going, no! I mean, I, I kept thinking, but I mean, the, 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 we're, we're talking a lot about a house which most people have not seen and now will never see. But well, there'll be some photos. Great, yeah. It would have been a great horror movie house. You could have found flat. Well, someone, someone wrote a horror novel set there. Oh, that, really? Hmm? Amelia did. Amelia's, oh. uh, yeah, Amelia's uh, zombie novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it started the, there. The, the so yeah, is, is, is set there. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened, happened again. But I guess this is also the Okay, there's an awful lot of emotion. I mean, obviously, you're probably too tired to think of anything about it than just being tired about it. But whilst there's something sad about the end of an era, it's also moving into a new environment. It's now you're in a a, a, fancy-schmancy industrial estate somewhere in San Leandro. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be like a real fresh start. Like, one of the things that happens when you move and you change is there's also an enormous weight that gets left off. First of all, you don't have to worry about... You know, roofs that need to be repaired and decks that need to be replaced. So there's a time and all that kind of thing. But there must be an element of you're sort of segueing to a more business-like environment a little bit. I mean, like this is sort of Locus has been a cottage industry run by originally one person and people he liked and had around him, and it's still that core group of people and they're all fantastic and they're all friends and they're all working. But it's much more of a we're becoming a business, isn't it? I should hope. I, I do hope that we shed a little bit of the. Um, I mean, there's just, there's been an you know not entirely, but a little bit of an element of there's sort of a shrine aspect to staying in the same space that something was in for years and years, where one person, the founder, collected all of the things and and worrying about moving things around or rearranging things or getting rid of things. At least now we will actually shed a lot of the things that he collected that don't have to do with science fiction and get down to a cleaner set of collected books. But also I think emotionally or intellectually we might shed some of the, what would Charles do? Um, Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, and I think it's long past that time. I mean, I think it's time for, it it should simply be, what does Locust need? You're in charge, you're running it. It should be, what do you think and what do you want done? Not how did someone who worked out how to do something 30 years ago and didn't change it because they didn't think they needed to, uh, how they did it. And it it, gives you a chance for really quite an exciting exciting and better resourced era, I hope. I do too. So anyway, that's the the past. (laughs) That's the past. And maybe at some point, 
there'll be some kind of coverage of when you're all settled and the new environment's working. But the reason we're here is as much as anything to talk about the September issue of Locus. I mean, the real origin of this issue, of, of this podcast, in my mind, as the person who first thought of it, was an outgrowth of another podcast where what would happen is once a month the editors of the magazine would sit down with the newest copy fresh out of the press and they would read the stuff that they were uh, talking about. You know, they'd say, here's our new issue, blah, blah, blah. And I thought doing that with Charles would have been brilliant and it never really happened for all sorts of good reasons. But the, one of the logical outflows is, you know, probably one of the most popular issues Locust does is its quarterly forthcoming books issue. That came out last weekend and it covers books through till June of next year. We've talked about this, you know, about forthcoming books before. Maybe we're mostly going to sort of focus on the early part of next year. But before we do, if anybody's willing to, um, are there any books that are in front of you at the moment? I mean, because we haven't talked about doing this yet, or that you're aware of between now and Christmas that you're particularly interested in? It should simply be, what does Locust need? Oh. You're in charge, you're running it. It should oh. be, what do you think and what do you what? want them? Um, not how to... What? Um, we're getting a weird loop. No, it's not, no that, that, was, that was something that went wrong with my backup recording, which is now, I think, suddenly decided to commit suicide. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I do think November is uh, an interesting month. I was yeah. looking a little bit at, at the stuff between now and the end of the year, and there's a few collections, three collections, I think, that are really interesting. One's the Caitlin Kiernan Beneath the Dark Sea. Which I think is November from Subterranean. It is. Yep. Second yep. volume. And then um, Ken Liu has the Paper Menagerie, which I think is his first collection. It is his first collection, it's but I think, it's, I think it's been shunted to March of next year. Oh, really? And yeah. that's from Saga? Yeah. I still have that listed in November. A lot of things are moving around right now. Mm. And I guess there's George Martin's new collection, but yeah. The Ken Liu collection was was on my uh, list as well, and uh, and the George Martin collection. Um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, well, we already have in, the, in November. We have a uh, a Mary Rickard collection, which which is kind of a best of Mary Rickard because it actually includes stories which were in uh, some of which were in her first two collections, uh, but it also has. I've never been here. I'm coming out from Small Beer. Yeah, it's a small beer press, but it does include the Mothers of Vorhisville, which was a very well received and very excellent uh, novella. Really, it's a, it's one of her longer stories. It's true. Is that one for World Fantasy? Yes, it comes out for- at the, that, that comes out that weekend, I, I believe. Yeah, it We're- was also up for the Nebula Award, and I no, don't think it made the Hugo ballot quite, but I'm I'm fairly certain it was on the Nebula ballot. Mm. And uh, Shirley Jackson. Mm. And the Shirley Jackson Award as well. We're also going to see the conclusion of the Ancillary series by uh, Anne Leckie, Ancillary Mercy. That comes out October, and I think that's going to be a major book. I just was lucky enough to read Gary's review of A Borrowed Man by Gene Wolfe, which will be in the next issue of the magazine, and which I was sufficiently intrigued by that I'm now really eager to read the book. It sounds really interesting, so I'm looking forward to that. very interesting, and it's apparently not the only book in this Series. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I will. I will encourage people to go read Locus and find my review of it. But Gene Wolfe is is one of these writers who, in his eighties, is 
more unpredictable than writers in their 20s. I mean, you couldn't see him coming into what is essentially a murder mystery. That The title, it's easy enough to say, is that the, the, they're clones of dead authors who are kept on library shelves to be checked out as though they were books. And that's bizarre enough without, without getting a complicated murder mystery on top of it. Um, and it's a good murder mystery. That's the funny thing. Um, so it's, it's it, people who think they know what to expect from Gene Wolfe don't. That's number one rule of reading Gene Wolfe is it's not what you think it's going to be. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also very much, you're saying collections, Liza. We did talk about this earlier in the year, but I'm looking forward to uh, Reality by Other Means, the best short fiction from James Morrow, which is going to come out from Wesleyan with an introduction by Gary, so he can't really talk about it. I can't talk about that at all, except it's got a really good introduction. Um, not as good as the stories, maybe, but, but pretty good. And I'm also very curious about Green Earth by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is the re-edit and slight rewrite of the 40 Signs of Snow series, yeah, the Science and the Capital series. I think that should be really interesting. Has anyone heard it's, how much he actually revised that? Uh, I, th- I, I think it's marginally rewritten. He's cut about 15% of it and rewritten a little bit. Originally, when we, when we talked to him about it, he said that it, had, he, he, you know, it sounded like it was going to be quite significantly redone and cut by a lot. Now it seems it's basically been cut into one volume and there's been some cleaning. And it's now one long book rather than three yeah. separate books. So it's, it's, it's Yeah, no, it's not, it's not just an omnibus. It counts as a, a new rewrite, though it's a marginal rewrite. So, well, it's, it's the same set of characters and, and some of the same narrative arcs over three novels, uh, three volumes. So in a sense, you could make the argument that what he's doing is simply knitting together the pieces of what really was conceived as a single novel in the first place, much like, to speak of Gene Wolfe again, much like the Book of the New Sun, which is clearly a four-volume novel. Uh, and right. I don't think it's ever been published in a single volume. It's been no, published in it two volumes. Yeah. yeah, it has. It is now. That's how it comes out. Uh, and probably sort of, if I were trying to work out what you were thinking about it, Liza, I don't know whether it counts as a whole new book or not. Uh, I don't know how yeah, he feels about it. should have wondered for things like recommended lists and awards. Yeah, I think probably not. And probably the other book that I'm looking forward to and I'm interested in that's coming out just on the cusp of the end of the year, which is always a curious time. It's very easy for books to get lost at the end of December and the beginning of January. But uh, Adam Roberts' 15th novel, I think, is coming out, The Thing Itself, which is another science fictional recasting of John Carpenter's The Thing or Uh uh, John W. Campbell's Who Goes Here. And that should be really interesting. Um, Adam has, the last two or three novels of his have been really widely acclaimed. You know, Bet and um, uh, 20 Trillion Leagues Onto the Sea and, and, and the one before that. So they're all interesting. December? Sorry? that December then? That's a December title from Golan's uh, called The Thing Itself. Mm-hmm. And a book, I mean, that I think is well worth looking at. I think it's it's curious just, just not to sort of sideline ourselves too much but Roberts is one of those English writers who doesn't get a lot of attention outside of the UK really and probably deserves to get a lot more attention I mean Gary you and I were talking about how uh, there are some significant British science fiction writers who have never been widely represented in US based awards and as much as anybody else Roberts is one of those I mean Macaulay and, and others as well so Roberts is also an interesting critic and historian of the field he's an academic like myself and so he has this sort of dual perspective, which is apparent in 
Um, in, in, in some of his novels, his novels are, are pointedly elusive to earlier traditions of science fiction, which is why the thing itself strikes me as being especially interesting, partly because I just finished doing a lecture where I talked about the Campbell story. It's hard to think of a single science fiction story that's had a longer life in media. It's been reprinted. It's mm-hmm. been made in three movies. There's the Peter Watts story. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of one of these zombie stories that simply will not die. People keep revisiting it and rewriting mm-hmm. it and making movies out of it. It's true. Now, when... Uh, we were getting ready for this podcast. I suggested we would talk on, on about January through March. And I know that, Liza, you've been insanely busy. So the ability to sit around and idly make, make lists and all that nonsense are almost non-existent. It's, also, it's the saddest of all publishing quarters on its own, though, too, because it's not in the holidays and it's not summer reading and it's not fall back to school. Mm. So, and, and yet... And, and yet, I mean, I don't know whether it's to do with science fiction or whatever else, every now and again they drop some of the biggest books of the year in January and February and March. You know, uh, they, they did it this year. I think you'll find they're, they're going to do it in 2016. I mean, looking at some of the early books from 2016 that I, that I see, I, all I can think is they're books that people are going to be desperately waiting for, very, very eager about. And so, you know... I, I suspect we'll be talking about them at the end of 2016 and into the following awards season quite readily. Now, I can lead off, but or, but would you like to lead off with anything you want to talk about first, Liza, or, or, that you'd recommend or say you're looking forward to? Uh, well, um, I don't think the two things that I'm really looking forward to are the Charlie Jane Anders book, because Charlie Jane's been on a lot of award ballots and won awards for her short fiction, and I'm excited to see this novel, All the Birds in the Sky, which yep. is coming up from tour in February. Um, I know they have a sample chapter up, I think. Yeah, you can get on tour.com. Tour. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then, although it's interesting because that sample chapter, I think, think it's an adult book, but the sample chapter reads a little bit YA. I don't know if that's just because of the age of the protagonist. Maybe. Yeah, in that moment. But um, And the other one that I'm kind of interested in is the Chimeville has a novella coming out, the census paper from Del Rey. Yes. Yeah. About, about which we know almost nothing. I mean, China's kind of gone dark PR-wise, and you know, we, you know, we had, had the collection a little while ago, Three Moments in, in an Explosion. And now this, you know, long novella or whatever it is. Is this the census taker that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I saw but a description the of it online, but uh, it sounds fascinating. It sounds very Kafkaesque. Yeah. I, I, what it was interesting to look at the various reviews of Three Moments of an Explosion because there was a concern. Uh, China Mieville junkies got in the habit of having a novel a year for like five years there, and every one different from the one before, and then suddenly. Uh, Suddenly it was as though he's gone dark. And I think one of the things that we saw in Three Moments of an Explosion is that he's, um, he, he's maybe he's, he's no longer working on his project of writing one book in every genre. You know, one, one, one horror novel, one science fiction novel, one fantasy novel, one Western and so forth. Uh, I think the Iron Council was supposed to be his Western. But he's still experimenting. He's still trying new forms. There are some very inventive... Um, things in, in, the, in the story collection. 
So it suggests to me that the that the census taker, a little bit like Gene Wolfe, is something that we can't have any idea what to expect because uh, when he gets involved in serious, longer forms of fiction, he doesn't like to repeat himself. No, he doesn't. Mm. Um, and we're too far out to see any arcs of anything, any advanced copies. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's January, so it'll probably be soonish, but yeah. We're just I, on the I have an excerpt um, yeah. of it, which has a young boy running away from his house and the townspeople watching him, and yeah. he gets there and says, I just saw my mother kill my father, which is the... Yeah. The gripping lead-in, yeah. <laughs> right. And and then the boy, I think, is somehow trapped in the house yeah. with presumably his mother at that point, and the census taker comes and yeah. and that's about all we know. Right. <clears throat> well, I've got a, a couple of books in January that I'm okay. very eager to see, which I think the rest of the world will be eager about. Uh, first up, Tim Powers is going to deliver his fourteenth novel, De- uh, Medu- Medusa's Web. Uh, Tim is a long, long time in, in, sort of in genre and locus favorite, I guess. Probably the last couple of novels haven't got as much attention as some of the others. I mean, I think Hide Me Among the Graves and Three Days to Never didn't get quite the widespread you know, sort of attention that Declare did. But I'm really interested to see what, what Medusa's Web is like. The other one from January would be Connie Willis's Crosstalk, which isn't the book I was expecting. You know, I had you know understood that Connie had been working on a science fiction novel uh, based around Area Fifty One and all that sort of stuff, and this is some kind of romance novel kind of thing. Yeah, there's two things about that. One is, is well, there, there is a Roswell book that she's working on, but this is not it. The date is actually September. Oh, it's been moved from January. Incorrect. Oh, so all the January dates are wrong. Okay. Well, then I'm not looking forward I to that in January so. at all. <laughs> and it is it's about a, a, a young woman who wakes up from an accident and can is clairvoyant. She's read from it a few times. I've heard her read from it. Okay. But I know she did just put it in in June. And I think I ha- like we have it as January in the magazine. And then when I went and looked it up, it says September. So Well, we'll see. January or September then. Right. It's, that's a big leap, though, so I don't know I don't know what, what is correct on that. I'm going to have to look it up more. But it is interesting, and it is a romance about um, a woman who has to deal with being able to hear what everyone else is thinking. And it's funny, of course. But it is not the, the Area 51 Roswell book that yep. I've been waiting for. At least. <laughs> so... I'm also very much looking forward to Cat Howard's debut novel, Roses and Rot. She's been an interesting short fiction writer around the place, and any debut novel is interesting. I'm very curious to see what you know she's done. And you mentioned Small Beer a little while ago. That in January as well, they'll be putting out their second Joan Aiken collection. I think this year was the yes. Joan Aiken centenary. I noticed there was a Google Doodle not terribly long ago about her, at least in the UK. And I'm looking forward to that one quite a lot. Now, before I go on too long, Gary, what do you have? Well, since you mentioned small beer, I, I do have an arc, and I'm deli- deliberately putting off reading it. Uh, and it's, it's a hard time. It's, it's Sophia Samatar's second novel, uh, Winged History, uh, which I think is scheduled for March. And it's just 
I, this is one of the things I, I will confess to. Okay, I will confess to our listeners now that the other two people on the podcast are both my editors, and they tell me what to do. But every once in a while, I get a book I want to read, which I know I can't review for another two months, but I want to take time out of my review schedule anyway and read it. You do whatever you want, Gary. <laughs> okay, fine, sure, right. Like I have complete freedom. These you people, can still do these are the sons of oppressors, people. These people are my big brothers. They are they are sitting on me right now. Help me, rescue me. You can read it now. Write re- write the review now, and then fo- set it aside and put it in your column that month. Okay, fine. She can read whatever you want. You're a grown-up, Gary. You have to be responsible anyway, of yourself now. Pete Samatar had a, one of the most, I think, spectacular debuts, winning a World Fantasy Award uh, with her first novel. And so the second one is something I think we're all going to pay a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. Which is a sequel, yes. Yes, right? it to is. It is indeed. A Stranger in Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> February's also a bit crazy, I noticed, for, for books. There's one I'll be looking forward to for a long time, Madeline Ashby's Company Town, which was originally coming out from Angry Robot and is now coming out from Tor. It's a mm-hmm. standalone science fiction novel from her, and I'm going to be very interested to see what it's like. Uh, I honestly haven't read the um, uh, series that she's done for Angry Robot. I've been kind of waiting for the trilogy to end so I can read the next thing. So, so there's that. Uh, Bane have probably their biggest novel of the year coming out in February which is the new Lois McMaster Bujold I would think all the fandom will will be racing out to bookstores to get a copy of Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen which personally I think is an awful title but the book will be enormous fun, I've read everything of hers I've liked pretty much everything of hers and I will pick it up the two other books that I, I mean because I'm just going to name every damn thing and then we'll see what happens uh, Patricia McKillop has a new novel, Kingfisher, coming out from Ace, which will be her first novel in some years and will probably be another gorgeous Canuco craft cover and another elegiac fairy tale done in a beautiful way. Uh, the books she's been doing for Ace for the last decade or more have been spectacular. Yeah. And also, on my on, on sort of on, on the sort of red list as well, I'd have to flag... Uh, Golance will be publishing in February Into the, into Everywhere by Paul McCauley, which is the second of the Jackaroo novels, following up the one that he did in January this year, which didn't get a lot of play at, you know, sort of in the world, but was a terrific book. Sorry. That's me. Well, it's an interesting <laughs> question. When you, when, go, Eliza, were you going to say something? No, no, no. It's just funny. He, I mean, the, the, the issue with Paul McCauley and Adam Roberts and to a lesser extent with, with Al Reynolds, is, is something that uh, concerns me. I'm not sure what to do about it, and that has to do with their visibility in the United States, which more or less has to do with their visibility on Hugo Awards nominations and ballots and so forth and so on. And it seems to me that this is a situation, and to some extent um, it's, it's true of most English hard science fiction novelists, uh, even very successful ones like Stephen Baxter. Is there something that's happened to the American market where we don't want to read British writers anymore unless they're Terry Pratchett? Well, are you saying that they don't get published here at all or that they don't? The, I mean, I do think that having the separate market laydowns changes how like, it comes out in the U.K. and it comes out here a year later, nine months later, six months later. I think that really impacts how... How how much of a, uh, an immediate splash things make here? Well, which has you know, to do with what you're nominated for awards as well. Right. I mean, Paul McCauley has never received a Hugo Award, if I'm not mistaken. 
He's never even been nominated. That's a, it's appalling. He's one yeah. of the major writers in the field and has been for decades. Well, I mean, popularity votes are popularity votes, but I'm a l- more surprised that they're, you know, sort of... I, I guess British writers have done fairly well in the John W. Campbell Award, but they haven't done mm-hmm. as well in the others. And some of that's because I think this... Well, I would have thought the Nebulas might have rec- recognized some of them, frankly. And I don't want to get really sidetracked into awards no, because we're talking about new books and things that we're looking forward to. But... It is a bit of a curiosity that it doesn't happen. Well, but again, you know, the nebulas are nominated and voted on by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. Mm. Right. So... You have to overcome the fact they may not be familiar with them and stuff, yeah. Well, and, yeah. And they're not members, which is one of the ways that people, you know, see books, is that the other members are there talking about their books, you know? Exactly. And is, is, there, is there okay? Is there anything else you'd like to mention mention at the moment, Liza? That you're looking forward to? I'm doing it all out of order. Well, I'm kind of just like so bopping around now. It's going to be all organised, and now I'm just chaotic. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, the is it the fifth in Daniel Abraham's? Yes. Yeah. The final coming out. Spider- the Spider's final. War. Yeah. Uh, the final Dagger and Coin book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what else? You know, uh, Central Station by uh, Lavie Tadar was scheduled originally for March, but then it got pushed back, and I don't know. Uh, it went to April and then to May, but that's him putting together all the Central Station stories. And I know I'm out of my our range here, but I was excited when I thought it was March, and then it wasn't March. Yeah, anymore. I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest. That's not the Central Station novel that we've been waiting for. Well, it, it's the mm. book. I mean, there will be no other book. There is no novel, Gary. This is all the stories taken and braided into one big book. Okay. And he said, so, I wanted to write a novel in short stories. Yeah. That's right. He has so said that. I remember that. So this is it. And I'm, I, I agree with you, Liz. I'm really excited about it. I've enjoyed the short stories. Um, some of Levy's stuff I've enjoyed more than I've enjoyed others of it. This is a real, a real thing. And honestly, it was the kind of book that I didn't think was going to come out from a major publisher. I'm really delighted Tachyon picked it up. And I know they'll do a lovely job with it. I can't wait to see the book. So in fact, I'll probably be nagging Levy for an advanced copy so I can just get into it. So, yes. And yeah, I mean, that's most of my list, I think. Okay. I'd probably throw in, we're going to get a new Ken McLeod novel in March, which... You know, we haven't had one for a little while. Uh, Ken McLeod's science fiction is always interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, a new book from him. It's a uh, new, first volume in a new series called uh, Second Law. Looking forward to that. Probably um, alone amongst the three of us, I am guessing and having read Brian Staveley's fantasy novels. I don't even know who he is. Brian Staveley had a d- debut come out a couple of years ago, The Emperor's Blades, I think, from Tor. Uh, really good epic fantasy, really smart, well-written stuff. And the third one, the final one, the last... Sorry? The second was the Providence War or something? Uh, the the Providence of... I forget too, I'm terrible. But the, And the last Mortal Bond is coming out in March. And I am trying to hunt down a copy of that. I, I will be honest, I've been trying to see if I can sneak a copy because I'm eager to read it. I... I was supposed to be sitting there reading lots and lots of short stories for you know, a certain year's best that I edit, and instead I was you know, doing, what, doing what, what, what I classically do when I have to do one thing, and that's doing any other thing at all. 
So I, I started reading <laughs> lots of epic fantasy. I, I read his and enjoyed it very much, actually. So I'm looking forward to that. I mean, if we're going to go off the list a little, the one I'd add in, I mean, you're saying being really excited about Levi Tidhar Central uh, Station. I'm really mm-hmm. excited to read Nine Fox Gambit, which is the debut novel from Yoon Ha Lee, which oh, has been picked okay. up by Solaris, and that's coming out a couple of months later than that. And that's the first in a new space opera trilogy. And I was lucky enough to get a hold of a copy of it. And I've started reading it and it starts really well. So that, that's, that should be interesting for everybody. And you know how short fiction is. This is, this is the other thing, which, uh, I mean, I was actually, Liza, you and I talked to her at the, during the Locus interview. But apart from that, I'd read a handful of stories. Jonathan, you're the one that has your handle on people who've been reading, who've been writing really exciting short fiction. And frankly, unless it shows up in your year's best or, or Gardner's or Rich's or, uh, or somebody's, I don't know about these people. So I don't always know what to look forward to in terms of, of this sort of thing. Uh, look, I, uh, I, I think there are all sorts of really good recommendation mechanisms out there now, whether they're short fiction or not. You know, Locus is obviously a primary one, and there are others where people talk about exciting new books. I mean, we're talking in the pages of the magazine right now about Aliette de Bodard's you know, novel, uh, which has just come out. We're talking about Zen Cho's new novel, which has just come out. They're exciting, interesting writers doing interesting things. Um, there's a lot of great stuff around. It's actually been a pretty great year. I mean, we're nowhere near ready to begin the process of recommended reading, though that sits moments away. I know. But, I mean, actually, when, if you stop and draw breath for a minute and think about the reading year we've had so far, and we're into early September, I think we can make a bit of a statement about it. There have been a lot of really good, interesting books come out. This has been another good year for both anthologies. I could name a couple of great ones. The Delaney Tribute Anthology comes to mind. Oh. bunch of great novels. Uh, Stan Robinson's, Ian McDonald's, uh, I think Alietta Bedard's, a uh, couple others. Some, some great collections. So, I mean, it's been a really incredible year. I mean, given all of your... all the extra demands put on you by Locus, have you had a chance to actually keep as much of an eye on it as you normally would, Liza? Have I? Yeah. Not at all. I mean, not in the last two months. I haven't... I mean, the last two months have been... I, I probably spent, to be fair, I probably spent most of June and July in a desperate battle with myself about whether or not I was going to move to the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very hard. I had to go, because the thing is, is that once you decide to do it, you have to be all in, mm. and you can't go through any of the doubt or any of the yeah. worry or yeah. grieving when you have 11 times of books to move. Mm. You have to just be all in and you have to move books. And so I spent June and July really processing what moving the business was going to mean for all of the reasons, for the reasons that I had worked there in the same space for well over a decade or that I was going to be moving from a beautiful space to a very commercial space or that I was going to traumatize a number of the staff who worked there for a very long time. Mm. But... um, so yeah, no, I mean I have not I have not read as many books as I would like to and in fact doing these podcasts with you makes it even worse because then I just have a really long list of books I want to go look at right now. <laughs> 
Well, it's like, uh, but you know, we'll settle down and I'll get to catch up. I well, I, I, I'll have a bigger when I retire. Well, actually, I, I don't know if, I, if the system's going to change, but uh, it used to be that there were a couple of bookcases in the main living area at Locus where Charles would put the four, you know, the recommended reading books for 2015. I guess those have been yep. carefully packed and moved somewhere <laughs> useful, so you don't lose track yep. of them. They were the first ones in fact, in fact. So. Because, I mean, uh, when, I look, when I look back at the year, I mean, uh, and we will start doing this. I mean, Gary and I are talking about, we may ask you to come back in a month or two to start getting ready for the end of the year system and start talking about some of the things we think are worth recommending in, in some detail. But when you look at you know, major books by Neil Stevenson, major debuts by Ken Liu, we had the start of the saga imprint, really, uh, in, right. and, and all that's happened with it and how it, you know, the books it's produced and there's been an interesting array of titles and how they're going. Um, we've had you know, the second Sisin uh, Lu book come out just recently. We've had uh, Libby Bray's novel, which has just topped the New York Times bestseller list, gone to number one. Uh, the sequel to yeah. The Diviners, which is a terrific book. Uh, we've had the second um, Darger and Surplus book from Michael Swanwick. Um, I also had... I had my, my moment of reading disappointment for this quarter, Liza, while reading Locus Magazine. Thank you. Oh, no. Ah. Because, you see, I, I have, I have to tell you, I, one of the more awkward things I've been wondering, I've been thinking about saying to you to not send me the, the, the print magazine anymore because I only ever read the electronic magazine. I'm tapping my tablet like you can see it, right? And so oh. I've got this stack of magazines still in the delivery uh, plastic uh, that I haven't been touched. As though you're a fine collector. Yeah. They're still they're plastic. Yes, yes, never never removed from box kind of thing. Never removed from box because I read the magazine as it comes, you know, sort of as as a lot of people do now digitally. And we got the April the September issue and on the cover with another terrific cover by Fran. I have to say hats off to to Francesca Mayman for the covers that she's been doing for the locus oh, the last right. 2 3 4 years. They've been better and better and better and really impressive. Uh, and so my hats off to her and to you for being willing to let her mo- let Locus move from the this looks a little bit like Time magazine uh, on, on a newsstand kind of approach that Charles has gone for. Believe me, I drove that. I wasn't that wasn't a let. Yeah, I agree. But um, the Sarah Manette interview was a disappointment to me because it impl- implies we're not going to be getting a, a Catherine Addison book very soon, a new one. Right. So. Well, that's. That's the kind of disappointment that I don't mind that you got from me because it didn't actually come from me. You had me worried for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, 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 no. I'm very happy. So. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I think she's in, at least encouraged, though. I think that was a hard... You can read in the interview that she had sort of a hard period, and I think coming out, having a book come out that's been strongly received and people really enjoyed, I think mm. that'll be more. But I don't think that... I mean, does she say that she's not going to write another one? Or she no, 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 no. That name? Look, I think uh, I have to be f- fair to, to 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 Sarah and to uh, the inter- were you the interviewer on that one, Liza, and to the interviewer, mm-hmm. uh, and that is that mm-hmm. the picture she actually paints is someone who writes slowly but was published quickly, and so mm-hmm. yeah. you know this particular book, the one that's been up for the Hugo and the Nebula and the World Fantasy, uh, the Goblin Emperor, um, which is a terrific well, you book. Uh, well, the thing is, on, on the traditional publishing sk- schedule, 
we're getting to the point where we should get we should get one like next year. It's been like a year or so, but since that one came out, it came out last year sometime. You'd think next year oh. sometime we get the next one. But the truth of the matter is, she started that book three or four years earlier, and who knows where the next one is? It might be a year away, two years away, three years away. And, and you get that much. I mean, sometimes you're surprised. I mean, we were talking to Zen Cho last week uh, about Sorcerer to the Crown, which I re- finished reading during this week, and it was enormous fun. And I had assumed the next book would be out in, on a 12-month sort of cycle, but actually it's going to be probably more like two years till the next one comes out. And that's not what you expect in commercial yeah. publishing, you know. Well, I do think that... The, I don't think it's that people even can't read or can't write that quickly, but because I do think that that's a lot of time. I think it's sort of accounting for the time that it takes to be part of the publishing process beyond writing. Now, now especially with the way that the industry shifted, where a lot of publicity is author-driven, you're doing blog tours, you're Mm. trying to generate an audience on social media. I think it really eats a lot of time where, you know, if you were like, I'm turning in my manuscript, I'm starting, I'm going to take you know, three months off, you'll give me an editorial letter in a month and I will do revisions and then I will start my next book. I just don't, I don't know if that exists for very many authors anymore. I think it's a lot, a lot more complicated uh, and a lot more complicated. Well, it has to do with the nature of the author as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's true, for example, that Zen Cho spent a number of years amassing the not very large number of stories that went into her collection Spirits Abroad and then uh, produced one novel which was not really very much like Spirits Abroad uh, at all. But to some extent, there are writers, and there, there, there's a whole category of, of professional fiction writers who see themselves as craftsmen and who can produce a book a year like Clockwork. And at the opposite extreme, there's the Ted Changs and the Eileen Guns who write a story when it comes to them, and no amount of money or fortune or recognition or awards is going to make them speed the process up. No. Right. Yeah. Well, no, and I do think that that's, you know, it's sort of like the music industry. You spend your entire career creating your first album, and it is essentially your best of, right? Because it is yeah. the best music that you have written in the 10 years that you've been playing together or whatever, and you, or however long, five years, maybe even three years. You write yeah. 50 songs, yeah. and you put 15 of them on an album, and then you get signed, and they say, don't do that again in a year. <laughs> and exactly. same thing. Yeah. For some authors, that there's this like, well, I, you know, I could try, but, but at least she's. I mean, I think she's she's still on board and has bounced back from what sounded like a rough period. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Yeah. For a minute, so. Yes. Anyway. So yes. But I mean, <clears throat> we will put a, a, a list up to, to to sort of go, you know, sort of go with this podcast a little for, for for stuff that people can look forward to in January, February, March, particularly. Uh-huh. Um, and we will, be, you know, begin the recommendation process. It seems as though there is a desire out there in the world for things to be recommended. I did realize there were two books I meant to mention that I forgot to. Both uh-huh. coming out I- from Aqueduct Press, which is bad. Do you have other things you forgot to mention, Gary? Oh, go ahead with yours, because I had two I wanted to ask okay. about, actually. Well, okay. Well, we'll do that. First of all, Aqueduct have announced in March they're publishing The Merrill Theory of Literary Criticism by Judith Merrill, a new nonfiction uh-huh. book by Merrill. I have no idea what it is, but I'm really, really curious to see it. 
Uh, Merrill stands one of our finest editors and uh, one of the more interesting writers in the history of the field. So anything from her is going to be interesting. Do we know who edited that or put it together? Was it Emily Paul Weary? There, there is no actual. I've just got a really? title and a date. Yeah. So, oh. um, I, I saw this magazine called Locus. So I figured, you know, sort of probably it'll it'll be right. So I'm really, oh. really looking forward to that. Um, and also they're going to publish a new Eleanor Arneson collection. And in my book, any Eleanor Arneson book is one that's well worth looking out for. And this is a particularly one that. It, Arguably, the field's been waiting for for a decade and a half. The collection. This is the Warhoth collection, the 12 examples of Warhoth fiction by Eleanor Arneson, which I'm guessing contains 12 Warhoth stories. Yes. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. Now, you, Gary, said you had co- questions. I have a couple of questions because I see things, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm, I see things on the Locust forthcoming books list, and I think that sounds very interesting, and I have no idea what it is. One, Jonathan, you should be able to answer the question. There seems to be something new from K.J. Parker called Downfall of the Gods. I don't know what that book is. I'm going to guess Downfall of the Gods is the first of the Two of Swords novels. Okay. Uh, that's just my oh. guess, I, because I, I don't know what it is, actually, Gary. Sorry. Do you know, Liza? No, it's too far out. I mean, it's the tricky bit about we're about talking it's about something. Yeah. 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 We, have, we haven't hit the publicity cycle. Yeah. And, and the other is, because we haven't really done this and I think I think Locus does a pretty good job of of roping in books that aren't necessarily going to be marked as science fiction or fantasy. Uh, but there's a new Brian Evanson title called The Collapse of Horse. I don't know if it's a Which is actually uh, a novella sorry. That's a novella from Coffee House Press coming out in March. But it what did appear it's online also. It appeared online in okay. an American reader or something. So I, I actually had written that down and then crossed it out. But um, yeah, no, it will come out in print. Yeah, and and actually, I should I should just say quickly that uh, the Parker book you're asking about after doing the world's shortest bit of research is a new novella from okay. Subterranean. Okay. And that, that'll be joined. By, he's got another one later you know, next year. So it'll be two or three new novellas next year, as well as the Two of Swords series that's coming out digitally and presumably at some point in print. Right. Do you have anything else, Karen? Uh, that's all on my list. That's it. Actually, we're done. Oh my goodness, we're, we're done. done. We're done early. This will be a shortish podcast from the Crude Street Podcast. The, 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 yeah. the King Lou collection is something we should probably emphasize because, uh, again, here's somebody who's been. I, what's interesting about the Ken Liu collection, which we talked to him about uh, on the podcast, is that it's kind of what you were saying, Liza. It's almost the best of Ken Liu. He's written far more stories than he can fit into his first collection, uh, which I think is uh, a very wise way of putting together your first collection as opposed to writers who I could but will not name, who basically, as soon as they get enough stories together to make 200 pages, have a collection, no matter how immature some of the stories are. I do think, I think it's, it's wise to have a book. But yeah, well, no, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I will say that I mean, this is a hobby horse of mine, and there are always exceptions. I mean, you know, Ken Liu, uh, oh, sorry, uh, I've gone blank. Ted Chang can collect every single story he ever, ever publishes because he publishes four stories in every decade, so you have to collect every single one, and they're all worth collecting. I think the fact that Ken, uh, in conjunction with his editor, Joe Monti, can look at uh, 120 stories in a bibliography or whatever it is and, produce, mm. you know, and give you a collection that gathers t- 15 of them, 
I think that's a really good thing to do. That means you're going to get a really strong debut collection, and it I should really that. stand out. So that's Paper Menagerie and other stories, which about again I think within our period. So yes. Anyway, we are at the end of our forthcoming books. We, we have booked and forthcomed, so we will we will put a list online with this when it goes up probably tomorrow. I'd like to thank you, Liza, for making time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. And I would expect we'll talk to you at least once more before the the year is out. uh, Because there'll be another forthcoming issue, I think, in December. And also, uh, maybe we'll be getting into our own kind of recommended cycle, and we'll get to talk about that as well. So we look forward to it. So thank you. And good luck on completing the move. Yes, good luck with the move. Oh, yeah. We're so close. So close. Yeah. And Gary, as always, we will talk next week. And until then, we this has been the Coot Street Podcast. Podcast.